RSPB Bird Notes. For birds, for people, forever. I'm Jane Markham with a spring edition. And after a long winter with a chilly tail, things at last seem to be happening. Things like the lapwing and the red shank and that, and they're all they're all in on site now, and lapwings are starting to sit on their nests, and um, you hear red shanks calling, curlew are calling overhead as well. It's, it's a particularly exciting time of year at the moment. More from the RSPB's David Wilding, warden of the Otmore Wetland Reserve in central England, a little bit later. They're still waiting for the bittern's boom, but are delighted with this. The snipe, which has undergone a steep decline in numbers in parts of the UK, and that's put it on the amber list of conservation importance. And if you'd like to know more about that, you'll find information on the RSPB website at www.rspb.org.uk. But first, the uh, RSPB's Andre Farah. Uh, who's had a pretty busy time of it in the last couple of weeks, heading up the charity's response to the discovery of a dead swan, which proved to have had the H5N1 strain of avian flu. It was found in Scotland last week, the first week of April. But it seems, Andre, that the UK may have had a a bit of a a let-off with this Scottish swan. The discovery that the swan found at Celadike in Fife was actually a hooper swan does add quite a few more pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. It doesn't quite complete the picture, but it does help. So we know that it wasn't one of our resident mute swans, so it makes it quite unlikely that the bird contracted the virus locally in Fife. Now, where it came from uh, is still unclear. One of the favourite theories at the moment is that this is a German bird who was wintering in Germany uh, and was on its way north as part of its normal spring migration uh, and perished en route, died, fell into the North Sea and was actually washed up at Celadike. So the bird didn't get to the UK under its own steam. Uh, There is still a possibility though that that bird contracted the virus in the UK at some other point, perhaps in in, in southern England. So it does highlight the importance of uh, of vigilance um, and, and, and Hopefully another few more days, few more weeks of that might see us in the clear. And of course, we've got a lot of migratory birds returning to the UK now, haven't we? We have. Uh, this is such a tremendous time of the year as, as all of the swallows and the warblers, cuckoos, birds like that arrive back. It's, it's uh, a highlight of, of any year as our spring migrants return. But this year, of course, there is that underlying concern that will our migrant birds coming up from Africa bring this annoying little virus with them. Um, and I, I think there, while any bird can catch H5N1 or any bird flu, uh, the the birds that are coming north from Africa are not the same birds that we're concerned about with the the risk from the the, the bird flu virus, which are the ducks, geese and swans. So a swift, for example, will have nested in Britain last year and would have spent virtually the entire winter, our winter, in Africa on the wing. It won't have had any means of contracting that virus. So although there is H5N1 in Nigeria and other parts of West Africa, the risks of our migrant birds bringing that virus northwards with them are very small. The risks of them arriving alive with that virus are equally small. And then the risks of that virus passing on to humans, it's a very difficult virus for humans to, to catch, uh, become diminishingly small. We've heard dreadful stories about people in on the continent destroying nests. And I have got a, a house martin's nest that's underneath my eaves. And you look at it now and you think, 
Oh, it is absolutely safe to to have birds nesting on your house. It is, uh, and and I can u- use the term absolutely in in a relative sense, if I can make that that uh, that that slight contradiction. In that the statistical chances of encountering a bird with bird flu are in the realms of winning back to back lotteries. Um, so while any bird can theoretically die of H five N one, this very lethal form of bird flu, the actual chances of encountering that bird are incredibly slim. Um, out of the millions of birds in the UK, there's been one positive. Out of the literally billions of birds that will be present in Europe and are currently migrating northwards, a few hundred across the whole continent have tested positive. So the odds of even encountering a bird that's, that, that, that's had any connection with this virus are very, very small. And if you add to that the fact that this is a virus that there are, there are no reliably reported cases around the world of anyone, any human, contracting the virus directly from wild birds means that that the statistics related to the risk are so far out that you can almost say it's absolutely safe. There there have been reports about cats catching it and I I have to say I I saw reports in a newspaper, I won't name the newspaper, which was sort of suggesting that we're going to have to end up keeping all our cats indoors, which wouldn't necessarily be bad for the birds, of course, but but, but it, real scare stories. Um, what, what about the, the, the possibility of the effects on cats? Cats can undoubtedly catch bird flu viruses, and there have been two cases now on the continent uh, of cats that have scavenged dead birds that have died as a result of consuming the carrion. So, so there is the theoretical possibility well, there is a certainty that cats can get this virus, but that's two cats out of the hundreds of thousands of cats across the entire continent. So it comes down to the numbers game again. The tragic cases of humans contracting bird flu around the world have all been linked to people who are working in intimate contact with, with poultry. They're killing it, preparing it, eating raw poultry products, living often cheek by jowl with poultry, using water contaminated by poultry faeces, and um, are, are, are working in in circumstances that we don't recognise in in Europe and certainly not in the UK. So again, the risks of contracting the virus are very, very small. The real risks that that do exist are in terms of bird-to-bird transfer. So so the real focus is a veterinary one of of trying to keep the virus out of the poultry flocks. And we've Mm -hmm. seen only two cases in Europe of uh, of poultry contracting the virus following uh, an outbreak in wild birds. And at least one of those, the most likely source of contamination from the wild site, the wetland with the dead duck on it, to the, 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 the farm with the housed poultry on it, was actually direct transfer by people tramping through with their muddy boots. Uh, and in, indeed, the farmer is convinced that the first flush of journalists that came to the site to cover the story were responsible for bringing the virus directly to his farm on their clothing, on their boots. God. So that highlights the, the crucial nature of the, the biosecurity of separating the virus in wild birds from the risk of it getting into the poultry flock. I mean, does, that's a real issue. Does that mean that perhaps we shouldn't be well, we should be more careful if we're visiting the countryside? Uh, care is always important but but again it, it's important to know where the virus is and, and poultry keepers and, and farmers are being incredibly vigilant now obviously because of the, uh, the, 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 the the highlight that has come around this outbreak in Scotland to, to look for, um, for, for dead and dying birds and there have been over 40 cases of, of poultry die-offs in the UK that have now been analysed and have come back negative. So uh, where, there are, where it's necessary to put in um, a pro- 
appropriate hygiene measures, then that will be done. Uh, of course, anyone who keeps stock will have an eye to ensuring that there isn't unnecessary contamination. People coming from uh, infected areas on farms will wash boots and change boots and change clothing, and, and this should be part of uh, of normal husbandry to to, uh, uh, to to understand what infectious disease risks there are around. And, and bird flu is but one of the the problems that farmers face. So we shouldn't stop visiting the RSPB sites around the around the country. Not at all. I'm talking there about specifically about farms, mm. and 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 the countryside is open. I think we learned during and after the foot and mouth outbreak that um, reacting to the point at which we closed Britain, closed the countryside, had probably as much impact on us as the virus did itself and and this is a very different virus with very different ways uh, ways of, uh, of of infecting uh, infecting things so so we're not in a situation like that with with foot and mouth and it's crucial that we that we keep the countryside open and the uh, and respecting the fact that there is there is a diminishingly small risk of uh, to human health from this virus uh, and that, that um, good sensible hygiene and prudence and vigilance will stand us in very good stead and protect us even from that small risk means that it is entirely safe to visit the countryside. And I suppose feeding the birds on our bird tables and with our bird feeders, those birds as you were saying earlier are so unlikely to be mm. infected that they, won't, they wouldn't be in danger of transmitting it between each other should, should it get into the country. Um, again we're looking at yet another bird disease and, and it's a very good time I think to remind everybody who enjoys feeding birds and I include myself in this that we're all pretty poor uh, remembering to clean our bird feeders um, and this has been a big wake up call to me and to everyone it should be that that, that feeds birds uh, that we should regularly clean our bird feeders um, because that's good hygiene for the birds it prevents the, the transfer of diseases that are already there between them and of course once we've fed the birds come in and wash our hands You know, wear gloves when you're cleaning the feeders and then wash your hands when you come in. A basic rule of hygiene that, that I think um, uh, a time like this is is useful to remind people about and, and we should be doing that for all the other reasons we know about, not specifically for bird flu, but by doing it we will um, really protect ourselves from the, the minute and diminishing risk that the virus poses to human health. Yes, I have to say I probably don't clean my feeders as often I sh- as I should. What, what do you reckon? Every every two or three weeks? Something like that? I, I think the, the advice is uh, observe it so, so it depends to some extent on the bird usage of where you feed the birds, but uh, when it's obvious they need cleaning, then it's probably a little bit too late. So um, probably fortnightly is, is is a good average. But if you get a lot of birds, it might need to be a little bit more regularly than that. And people should use a, a, a 1 in 20 dilution of household bleach to do it, then rinse the feeders and uh, leave them out to air dry. And I suppose do it in the garden rather than in your kitchen sink. Absolutely. Do it out, out in the garden and have a bucket and a bottle brush or something that you use specially for that and keep them separate and keep them outside. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe place. Andre, thanks very much. That's a pleasure. But let's get out into the open air. Wetland areas around the country are on alert for signs of avian flu, of course, but it's very much business as usual. And as spring gets into its stride, there is nothing quite like being out in Britain's wilder places. David Wilding is the warden of the RSPB's Otmore site. The office is buzzing at the moment and I think the volunteers are, you know, we've worked through the hard, cold winter and now kind of it's warming up a little bit and now we've got the spring birds coming in as well. And haven't we had to wait for it this year too? <laughs> but it's, and it's, we can hear a little wren in the background here now, but it's the water birds that are the main feature of, of Otmore. 
That's right. I mean, the, the key species we're working for, are, you know, things like the lapwing and the red shank and that, and they're all they're all in on site now. And lapwings are starting to sit on their nests, and um, you hear the red shanks calling, curlew are calling overhead as well. It's, it's a particularly exciting time of year at the moment. Yeah. Now it was mentioned that there might even, if I was very lucky, be a snipe drumming down here. Yes, we've had we had um, three um, snipe on the reserve last year drumming, and um, already this this year in the evening we've had snipe drumming away. And it, I mean that's it's a fantastic sound to hear the snipe drumming. So the even the evening time is the best time to hear that. That's right. Yeah, come down around sunset time. You know, uh, we'll be a little bit later as well, and you'll just start to hear them. And it's just I won't try and imitate it because I'll make a fool of myself. But it is an absolutely incredible sound. It's kind of drumming of their their tail feathers as they plummet down. You've been doing a lot of work here, I can see, all sorts of uh, wood shavings and things. What's What's been going on? During the winter time, we do a lot of work on the trees and that, and we've been trying, we're doing a coppicing of the, the larger willows, trying to reduce the height of those and kind of bring them back into the traditional kind of pollarding coppicing regime that they used to have. Um, we've also done some hedge laying as well, just trying to reduce the height of the hedgerows so we don't have as many kind of predator perching posts for the crows and other species like that. There are plenty of crows around. I've seen them a lot. Um, now, obviously, your your sister sites, the RSPB wetland sites up in Scotland, have been uh, on high alert following the bird flu uh, scare. Um, has it made a difference to how you're approaching what you do here right in the centre of England? Um, I think all RSPB reserves across the country, you know, we've, we've got a policy that we're working to at the moment and we're being very vigilant. We're checking the site for any dead birds or anything like that and anything that, that we see we will report it instantly. So I think we are just being you know, a lot more aware and a lot more alert. Because it's a beautifully empty site but in fact the surprising number of people spend a surprising amount of time down here on the chilly moor don't they it's great just to be walking along the trails you know and chatting to people and hearing what they've seen you know what birds they've seen and and it is you know people do come down here and it's a great place to come down just to escape from from the rat race or just from noise and that you just come down here and you've got the wind and the birds calling it is a it's quite a magical place to spend time i was i was down here in the summer of course with the with the children on the one of the summer open days uh, watching them helping with a little bit of uh, reed planting uh, how's that gone because that was due to be finished i think that's right yes we finished the reed planting this year it's um, seven years of replanting 125,000 reeds have been put in and um, you know that that was really exciting to get that completed um, obviously it's not fully matured yet so the reed still needs to grow but um, no sooner did we finish doing all the reed planting we've actually started cutting the reed now so it's like we finished one project and on to the next one but um, but that, that's that's good to be kind of developing that and and already we've had some bird species using the reed bed as well which we've quite excited about. Excellent, and I know that one of the the, the main species you would love to have here uh, is the bittern. Uh, is it too early in the year to know whether? you're likely to get one uh, well we had one over the winter we definitely had one over the winter which was seen um, and it was seen all the way up into about february march time so we all got quite excited and were listening out for its first boom but we haven't heard anything yet but you know hopefully it may happen david thanks very much that's about it thanks to andre farah and david wilding and if you'd like more information about any of the birds or issues discussed in this podcast all the latest information is at www.rspb.org.uk i'm off to scrub up my bird feeders rspb bird notes is a podcast production for the royal society for the protection of birds for more podcasts podcasts go to podcasts.co.uk